Welcome to the Con Pod, a Star Trek convention podcast, a proud member of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Here is your host, Ron Robel. Hello, and welcome to the Con Pod. My name is Ron, and I'm your host. Today's topic is going to be an exciting one. We have a great guest. We're going to compare and contrast the creation convention that takes place in Las Vegas every August uh, with the official conventions hosted by ReadPop this year being held in Seattle, Star Trek Mission Mission Seattle. But before we hop into that, do have some exciting news. Uh, In the last couple days, the website did did launch for the 57-year mission, the creation convention in Las Vegas. Uh, That website has hotel information and has some guest listings, still no tickets for sale. Uh, The guests currently listed, we have 12. Uh, We have the big three from TOS, William Shatner, George Takei, Walter Koenig. Uh, We have Paul Wesley, the other Captain Kirk from Strange New Worlds. And we have the original cast from Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, Only absent from the main cast right now is uh, Patrick Stewart and Will Wheaton, unfortunately. Uh, But looks like a great guest list so far. 12 folks with about 280 days to go. Uh, For the hotel, this event is being held at the Rio again this year in Las Vegas. There's a room rate available through Creation. I know personally I booked through through Caesars Rewards. Saved quite a bit of money, so if you have a Caesars Rewards account, definitely hop into that. I've also heard from some folks that Booking.com has some fantastic deals. Um, I've never booked through them, but would imagine the rates are a little bit more competitive. So having said that, I also want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, It has been a very busy summer for me personally. I own a seasonal business uh, and it has just been a crazy busy summer. But as our season ends, I'm looking forward to spending more time with you talking about conventions and the Star Trek community. Uh, So looking forward to counting down the days until the next Las Vegas convention, the next ReadPop convention and other events. Having said that, let's hop into today's podcast. Today's episode is going to look at the two big land-based, Trek-centric conventions based here in the United States, the Star Trek Mission Tours hosted by ReadPop, and the 57-year Mission Tour hosted by Creation Entertainment. The next ReadPop event is being held over Memorial Day weekend, May 26th to 28th, 2023, in Seattle, Washington, while the next Creation event will be held in Las Vegas, Nevada, this coming August 3rd through 6th. To May... To make these events a bit easier to distinguish in our conversation, we're going to refer to the event by their host names as either ReadPop or Creation. Uh, to help with this deep dive, my guest today is Marina Krabchek. Marina is one of the hosts of the Shorely Podcast, a Star Trek convention podcast on the Tricorder Transmissions Network, as well as an admin in the Star Trek Convention Experiences group. Marina, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased to finally be on ConPod, actually. This is very exciting. Thank you for having me. Very excited to have you. So to start things off, tell us a bit about your convention background and experiences. Um, I started going to conventions in 2009. It seems like ages ago, <laughs> but um, it's, you know, literally only that, that what, 13 years ago that started. Um, I did manage to get quite, quite around. I mean, I think I'm about 80 or 90 conventions by now. So I average quite a lot during the year. Um, and it all started out very simply, you know, I saw uh, a small poster in um, a, a bookstore that was advertising a local convention here in New Jersey. And I thought, well, why not go? I was sort of like an armchair of Star Trek uh, fan for a long time. And so it kind of was a natural step, like, well, let's do something else with my fandom. Let's go and actually check out the conventions. And that's it. After that, you, you go to your first one and you get the bug. <laughs> you can, uh, you have to come again and again and again. So, um, yeah, you know, the Star Trek conventions in particular, that's sort of like always a highlight of the year. I look forward to whatever we can get every year now. So when you went to your first convention, I know my intention, I hear this from a lot of people, was going to be a one-time thing i'm going to go just do the one convention yeah. and that will be it was that your mentality going into yes, it very much because i have no <laughs> idea i've heard of conventions i've certainly uh come across people you know dressed up on the street whether again either locally in new jersey um or uh, of course in new york uh but it just somehow it just never it was just uh, the thing that other people did um and then i went and again this was a small event this wasn't like you know uh a large Comic-Con or any of the larger track conventions that we had at the time uh, or right now. And yeah, I don't know, I'm thinking maybe 1,500 people, 2,000 over a weekend. Oh, wow. So <laughs> I literally walked away a Sunday afternoon thinking, 
when is the next one? Because I need, I need more. I need more of this. It was absolutely delightful experience. That's incredible. I love that. Um, and so I know you've done um, the creation conventions, the read pop conventions. Have mm-hmm. you done the cruise and destination yes. events? Um, I did both. Uh, so I, I've, uh, this, let's see, this is, I've done the cruise twice. Next year is going to be my third time. And I did destination twice. And along with all that, there's also been signing events and then comic cons of various sizes. Speaking of which, so this weekend is New York Comic Con in your own backyard, I'm assuming. Are you going to any of those events? Uh, yes, yes. I'm doing just Saturday and Sunday at the convention, which is the two biggest days. And I am super happy that I managed to get a spot uh, for the large Star Trek universe panel uh, tomorrow, Saturday. Um, and, you know, we're going to have Picard reunion on the stage. We're going to have cast of Prodigy and we're have, going to have something about Discovery. It's not very clear if we're actually going to have any of the Discovery actors there, but there's going to be something, something. So expectations are high. I know a lot of people are kind of trying to gauge, are we getting announcements, trailers, teasers? Something's going to happen. One thing that they did announce, uh, there will be a a Murph giveaway, an actual plushy Murph. And uh, (laughs) Jamon Sitters actually (laughs) tweeted a picture. It looks absolutely beautiful. So I'm very much looking forward to stopping by the uh, Paramount pop-up and trying to grab a Murph or maybe a couple, hopefully. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Um, So that's exciting. And then Sunday, we're going to have some fan events that are scheduled in the evening of people getting together. I mean, let's face it, at every convention, people are getting together all the time. So oh, yeah. um, it's it's fun. I know Trekkies are a bit of a social group, which is oh, why yes. we love these conventions so much. Um, so as I mentioned, you're host of the Shore Leave podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a bit about the podcast and how you got into that and what it's all about. Uh, it was started up, uh, so, so uh, let me back up a little bit. It's hosted by uh, myself and my good friend, Jesse. Well, our good mutual friend, Jesse Okando. Um, and both of us were uh, actually uh, repeat guests on it. It was started up by two of our friends, uh, Heather and Jeff. And uh, it kind of came to the point where we were basically providing quite a bit of coverage of going to different events. Um, Jesse has done all the Star Trek cruises, for example. So between the two of us, it felt like, well, maybe it's time to transition. So we kind of took over the reins because we were trying to kind of provide uh, uh, not only coverage of track events, but other conventions as well that have some sort of track component to them. So that's how it started up. And uh, things have slowed down, obviously. Pandemic really, really hurt the convention circuit, as we all know. Uh, but so we're sort of trying to find our legs again. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, and of course we have, well, both you and I are part of the the um, admin team for the Star Trek Experiences group that hopefully also provides a nice convention coverage for those who are not necessarily into podcasts, but prefer to see something in a, uh, a different form of uh, social media. Yeah. And I know like the Shoreleaf podcast, that's how I got into the conventions um, a yeah. few years back. You are, I think, one of the guests on the STLB 101 episode mm-hmm. and as a planner right. you know these these events don't necessarily do a lot of information and that particular episode was perfect for my ocd to get everything I'm planned very out. glad to hear that yeah okay there, there's a lot and as uh, conventions evolve it becomes um you know for a person who's coming in completely you know they've never done any kind of event it's of course daunting because you know there, there's so many protocols to follow you know do you sign up do you activate do you you know verify what where we're you know all this what's and why's. So when I was starting at 2009 and my very first Vegas was in 2010, I had absolutely no idea. So I did study whatever was on the convention website and otherwise I was just flying blind by myself. Yep. And I know, so um, the Star Trek Convention Experiences group, we are both admins in that group. Um, I think we're a little over 5,000 strong in there right mm-hmm. now. Um, so tell me a little bit about that group and how you got involved in there and what what is that group all about? I, uh, I'm trying to remember which year it was started it was either 2007 2008 um it was founded by uh, uh one of my friends sarah um and i think by the time we hit 2012 i want to say it really picked up in a sense that people were started to find the group and it sort of became this pool of information where people were sharing information you know tips and you know little by little as the social media was evolving so did the group so did you know the convention going experience so it really became this very nice um, sort of collection of information, if you will, mm-hmm. and a very nice place for discussion for those who are 
brand new, again, specifically, especially if we're talking about the Vegas convention, you know, there are vets who've been through pretty much uh, every possible problem probably at this point. So whatever comes up, any kind of question, we can certainly cover it. Yep, I think we mentioned too, it's a very social group that goes to these conventions. And I find that Facebook group to be one of the more lively ones. And that mm-hmm. if you are active on there, it's easy to get to. I know my first convention, I knew several people right off the group. Yeah. So check it out. The Star Trek Convention Experiences group on Facebook. Um, but let's get into our deep dive looking at these two conventions. So Read Pop and Creation. Um, you and I both were at the Read Pop convention in Mission Chicago last year. Are you planning to go mm-hmm. to Mission Seattle this year? Yes. And I'm very curious to see how it compares both to the other missions. In my case, I also went to uh, the very first one, the Star Trek mission, New York. Mm-hmm. So how does it compare to the other two big city events that they've done? And obviously how it compares to the other events. Um, even though I do have to stress that, you know, we do have uh, DST, you know, whether we're going to have it in the future or not, it's unclear at the moment, unfortunately. Uh, mm-hmm. We do have this Star Trek cruise. All of these things are obviously fantastic venues to celebrate our favorite fandom and our favorite franchise. Um, but they all kind of fall into their own categories in many ways. So it's interesting to contrast and compare. Uh, but so. um, yeah, <laughs> well, that's why. And there's definitely crossover too. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we look at the um, the creation convention too. So this year was very different. I was not at this mm-hmm. year's convention. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of an anomaly because of the location, because of the venue. So I think, you know, we're definitely going back to the Rio where the event is traditionally held. So looking and kind of comparing Mission Chicago to the Rio experience of the convention, um, I thought we could look at it in several categories. So looking at uh, vendors mm-hmm. Scheduling and panels, the hotel, convention space setup, photo ops and autographs, admission passes, um, events, both fan run and official and guests. Um, so jumping right into vendors, let's start with kind of read pop. And what was your experience with vendors, read pop versus creation? Uh, well, the difference is right off the bat, as we know, um, the missions are the licensed event. Uh, and up until 2019, so was the Las Vegas convention creation event. Um, the, they no longer are official. It's still a track convention for intents and purposes. I mean, obviously they had to change the name. So now it's uh, also has mission in its name. Um, but uh, uh, in terms of vendors, once you're a licensed event, obviously there is a certain certain parameters that are established in terms of who can be present in the vendor's room. Uh, and that was very obvious because uh, aside from a couple of perennial favorites that sort of show up at all sorts of events, like um, Intergalactic, for example, uh, it was primarily licensees. So either licensees or somebody who would be like a specific fan groups that were all about Star Trek who got the permission from um, uh, the powers that be. Um, but it was very... Uh, clear cut so you wouldn't have someone who would be you know like if you were ever at any comic-con and you will see people basically selling their artwork uh or some sort of like if they're makers and they're selling items mm-hmm. that they produce that sort of thing would not appear at a mission uh at, at the read pop event uh whereas there was a little bit more leeway in in creation it's still i, I would say it would still primarily track stuff you know, track collectibles and everything. I didn't see that many vendors with unusual selections. Probably the nature of the uh, uh, of the event. I mean, you you wouldn't have somebody who right. has a lot of Doctor Who coverage just suddenly show up in the middle <laughs> of what is still a track convention. Uh, so uh, there were definitely many more licensees at the Read Pop event, and I'm almost positive that this is going to continue going forward, um, unless something changes. But we'll see that. Yeah, and one of the things I had heard from the convention this past year, coming out of, of coming out of COVID, um, it's my understanding there were a lot of vendors who did cancel at the last minute for read. That's right. As well, because um, I think that was something I, they I got a lot the of same feedback thing on. And- yeah. So th- this is actually something I wanted to point out before we started the discussion that both conventions were very much a disadvantage this particular year. Uh, in case mm-hmm. of ReadPop, we literally beginning of the year, the convention circuit is just coming out of from all the heavy pandemic restrictions and, uh, you know, just generally very unpleasant circumstances. So everything is not happening the way it normally would had we been in the middle of, I don't know, 2019 or 2018. And in terms of a creation event, a different parameter, you know, we were in a different place, different hotel with a different setup. And that kind of really screwed up the way the normal uh, flow and the normal atmosphere of that particular convention worked. But we'll touch upon that when we talk about the hotel. Yeah. Um, another thing I'll say about the vendors, um, based on my experience, Read Pop, 
they both have people doing autographs and photo ops and selfies kind of in the vendors area. Um, That's right. My experience yeah. creation has a lot kind of the tertiary characters um, in that room. You'll see folks that may have been in a couple of episodes, usually the next generation cast. Um, so I find that there's more, and we'll talk about guests, I guess, later on too, but there's more of a guest presence in the vendors room at uh, creation that's events right. versus replay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just to get, have like a small throwback to Mission New York, I was extremely impressed by the vendor room that they had at the time because I was very impressive. I mean, you also had presence from some of the bookstores, like Barnes & Noble had their own, um, like, I'm going to call it a booth, like it was a, a whole like, like, a, like a mini book center, if you will, with all Star Trek books, whatever was oh, cool. uh, sold at the time. Uh, NASA had their own booth and so on and so forth. So uh, I would say with Mission New York was probably a better representation of what Reed Pop can do in terms of vendor presence. So yeah, Chicago in that regard was uh, much more, much, much smaller uh, and less representative. It was still nice to see. I mean, our usual favorites were all there and a lot of the uh, podcasters and fan groups that were, were there. Uh, you know, it was, uh, again, a disadvantage because of the uh, the, the pandemic circumstances. Right. Um, whereas if we compare that to creation, creation probably had, uh, how do I explain this? So the size of the vendor room was actually almost identical. I had a chance to ask Gary Berman and he said, yes, the, and, and what's more, they actually set it up the way they would set it up in Rio. So you would walk oh, in wow. and you would know that on the left, there's going to be, um, well, creation's own table with merchandise and behind them, it's going to be in the galactic and behind it, it's going to be in Garrett Wong's booth. Mm -hmm. And so, and it was exactly, so you could literally walk in with your eyes closed and you would still not get lost because things were in the same spaces. Uh, unfortunately, with everything else, with all the signings, there were actually many more um, autographing lines, it felt, especially considering that they had some of the headliners actually in the vendor room signings, such as Doug Jones. Oh, my goodness, the lines. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it. that kind of, it kind of made feel everything sort of very much squashed, even though, like, again, the room size was roughly the same as in Rio. Um, and yeah, so it kind of felt that a little bit off. It felt like there was a little bit less in the room in terms of the, the merchandise. And it's funny. I know Reedbop got a little, little bit of criticism for having the vendors room kind of be so large, um, but they did a really good job of having the signers really segregated from the vendors area in the same room. But mm -hmm. the lines were able to get ridiculously long without blocking booths too, which was kind of nice. It's part, part of this is the, is the effect of, um, the, the creation event is a hotel event. So you're limited right. by the size of the convention facilities available within a given hotel. Whereas Read Pop event is a Comic-Con style event which occurs at the convention center. So you certainly have much more leeway in terms of how you set up your vendor area and where your signers are gonna be. It tends to be a much larger space. Um, DC actually has a somewhat similar setup in that regard. Um, but it kind of ties in into what I already said because of the pandemic, the capacity of uh, Read Pop event was not there. It wasn't a very full event. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel like there were a whole ton of people walking around, you know, like I said, like creation this year, everything kind of felt a little bit squashed because of lack of space. In this case, it kind of felt very airy. You know, I was like, oh my goodness, we have, you know, this double height ceiling in that, <laughs> in that particular vendor area. You can actually spread around, just stand yeah. not inside of a crowd. So yeah, that's that that was a marked difference. I I'm curious to see how Seattle is gonna do it. I have never been to any Seattle conventions. Um, I'm told it's a very nice convention center. So I'm assuming it's gonna be something similar. Uh, whereas in terms of creation, we're gonna be thankfully back in Rio. <laughs> yes, so yeah. um, it's gonna be an interesting to compare that. I'm gonna say like let, let's get together next year and compare Seattle and uh, STLV back in Rio. Because oh, I think that's going to be a little bit more balanced. Both conventions are going to be more or less firmly on their legs. <laughs> right. Um, well, in, in Reed Pop's defense, this was, this was their very first, with the exception of um, yeah. Mission New York, which was, gosh, was that 2016? That was a few years ago. Yeah. The 50th, yeah, it was the 50th anniversary convention. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's been a while. This was definitely their first post-pandemic, um, but that's mm -hmm. kind of a good segue into the convention space setup. You know, we talked about the Read Pop events being truly in a convention center. So the amount of space 
it's funny. It feels like there was more space, but less stuff <laughs> than the creation convention, um, which they're at the Rio and they really take up that entire property. So I don't know if it's a smaller space and it just feels more full, um, but it definitely felt like there was a lot mm, more going on at the Rio. Yeah. Uh, it, so it, there is uh, a variation in the way, and I think the way that the space is set up is kind of representative of the different structuring of the convention. So as we all know, creation does not sell more tickets uh, than the number of people. Let me rephrase that. Uh, they, they don't oversell the main theater capacity. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, the, the main theater in Vegas went in Rio. So I'm not talking about Dallas this year. It was completely different. But typical Rio event uh, is roughly 6,100. So just over 6,000 seats, which is a lot. Uh, so at any given day, if you they sold out all the tickets, you're not going to have more than that. Um, in terms of read pop setup, it's set up again like a Comic Con style. So your ticket just guarantees that you're going to get through the door. It does not guarantee you a seat in the main theater. Mm -hmm. Chicago was under capacity, so thankfully we did not have to deal with that particular issue. Everybody got the seat. You know, <laughs> there were no problems in that regard. Thank goodness, uh, because Mission New York most definitely was affected by that. Um, so uh, because of the way that's set up, um, I think that's that's kind of affects the way the spaces are. So you have a much larger theater for creation because it kind of like it runs the entire size of the convention versus sort of like an average size main event, but lots of other space so people can walk around in large crowds and groups and check out the vendors and you know do the signing uh, at the at the event at, at the autographing area. So mm -hmm. you have more expanded vendor slash artist area. Uh, so hopefully that that kind of makes sense. But that's sort of like the main balance between the two conventions. Absolutely. I'll say too, as far as the space setup, one of the things I absolutely love at the creation convention is they'll oftentimes have those headliners, um, at least at the Rio, right in the main theater doing their autographs. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, at Chicago, I found myself having to leave a lot of panels to get autographs while they were in the vendor's room. Yeah. Um, and I will say, I feel like the read pop lines went a lot faster. <laughs> Some of those creation lines will last forever. You know, talking hours in line. Um, but it's nice to have entertainment while you're waiting in line as well. That's right. So it kind of feels like you're not not as much FOMO. You know, you're not miss, missing <laughs> out on on whatever's going on on the main stage. Um, but therein lies another difference. Read pop would normally have the actors at their tables. They can either have their own. Um, basically like signing sessions. So they, they actually, if you re recall, they, they put up like a little piece of paper every morning mm -hmm. during the Chicago event saying, okay, you know, this particular actor is going to be at their table signing and it's going to be like from, from 11 to 12 and then from one to two and then from four to five. So there would be multiple sessions. It made autographing easier. I think that's why the, the lines weren't as bad as it feels like when you're lining up and it feels like you're standing there for two hours at a creation event right. because creation tends to have just one signing session for those actors who are uh, signing through creation you know those who have again their tables in the vendors room they're just doing this at their own at their own time at their own um setup mm -hmm. i think too the creation ones a lot of the folks um, with the gold passes get those included so i don't know what the numbers look like but if you're every single gold person getting an autograph from kate mulgrew that's several hundred more people than might yeah. be purchasing the ticket at a read pop event and it's such an interesting variability because it depends on who it is. You can have a gold signer who, you know, a main character. So you would think, oh, that's going to take a while. And then you literally spend maybe half an hour and boom, you're done. It doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. And then, yes, yeah. of course, if you have a headliner um, included, that might take several hours. Um, I don't think at this point every gold actually gets it. Um uh, again, when it's set up at Rio, I think we're at about 600 gold tickets, roughly, mm -hmm. plus minus. So I know quite a few, especially those people who've been coming for years, holding on to the same seat oh, over yeah. and over and over again. Um, they either not, you know, they don't, they just, they, the tickets don't go anywhere or they gift them or perhaps they sell them. So I think we're still probably talking about several hundred people with within that gold ticket area. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course you have the PDFs and then whatever's left that's sold at the door. Uh, 
yeah. So yeah, when you have a single autographing session, that might take a while. I think the longest one I've ever been was three and a half hours for uh, Walter Koenig. Worth yeah. it, though. He was, he, was, uh, he was a gold signer. I think it was either 2011, 2012, and it took a long time. <laughs> Very cool. And it's, you know, it's just way off topic, but it's fun to do some of these autographs too. I find that the newer cast are so engaged with everybody they're autographing for that it takes oh, yeah. so much longer to get through their lines, but it's such a better experience. Too. Of course. Well, in that regard, it kind of helps that if, if, um, if an actor is willing to do that, you know, to have this kind of very heavy interaction with fans standing in line, it of course helps if you have them a at their table because then of course they have the um, flexibility of doing that even though there is a quite a large line behind them nevertheless they can get it at their own pace and that's why they set up multiple autographing sections i suppose that's the difference in the setup when you have you know just everything done in one go try not to miss it whereas you know the actor basically spending the entire day at the convention which i'm sure is mm -hmm. probably uh more tiring because it's more time Spent, oh, you know, I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> doing the chatting and the signing and the chatting and the signing. Um, I wish I knew comparatively the numbers, but it just feels like I'm sure the actors probably per have preferences where you can just do it in one go and be oh, done sure. <laughs> and then go yeah. on to photo ops and Q&A. Whereas, you know, you spend the entire day doing still a lot of people, but it's in chunks. Right. Well, and that's a good segue into photo ops. Um, so both conventions do photo ops. Both of them do a lot of vendor shot or uh, selfie shots at the mm -hmm. vendors' booths. Yes. Um, but what was your experience with photo ops at both conventions? Um, I've done both, and I have to say that in this, this is certainly one of those cases where, um, on one hand, Chris, uh, who who does the photography for creation, is is an excellent photographer. Uh, he does his best, you know, in terms of like trying to catch the closed eyes and or you know if you're wearing glasses that if something is off um it, it's they do color correction they actually try to you know like you do a wide shot and then they actually edit it so you have a nicer picture everything is aligned which is one of the reasons why it takes so much time it usually takes about an hour for the you know for the photo to, to actual physical shot to, to to be um uh released on you know on the, on the tables next to the photo opera uh in case of repop they like pretty much almost every Comic-Con host that I'm aware of, they prefer to use Epic, which um, I can sing praises to Epic the whole, you know, <laughs> the, this, yeah. this whole episode, <laughs> the whole week, the whole year. It's probably one of the best photography outfits out there. They can service both little guys or they can service really big events such as New York Comic-Con, for instance. Um, and I suppose the biggest plus in their case is they have instant print technology because they usually are involved in pretty high turnaround in terms of the number of shots that you have to, you know, take the shot, have it printed, have it distributed. We're talking about a lot of people at the Comic Cons. So they've invested in this technology. And what happens is you go in, you have your picture taken, you come out, they hand you the photo. If photo looks great, everything acceptable, they scan the little barcode and out you come. And if you bought any mm -hmm. kind of extras, like just, you know, additional print or JPEG, that automatically you you know you either get a second shot right there at the table, or and the, the JPEG drops into your uh, <laughs> into your email oh, box. Oh, the JPEGs oh, are amazing. Yes. Yeah, you have it before you even out of the line. Exactly. That's that's probably like the, the speediness of it makes it um, you know the people who never experienced that it's quite quite a difference. Um, I have to mention this actually that this year was the first time that they used Epic on board the Star Trek cruise, and those people who have gone to the previous cruises said that, my goodness, we had no no idea that something like this existed. This is so much better than what they did before. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> um, I I wish there was you know a little bit faster, but again, Chris has his own way of, again, color correction and adjusting the actual shot so you have a pretty picture. You do, like, if you, if you same thing, you can get the JPEG from Chris. And right. as a matter of fact, they, he sends you both files. He sends you the original shot, where, you, you know, sometimes you see uh, <laughs> the entirety of the background and everybody's legs and everything. And then you have the adjusted shot that they corrected so you have a nicer picture. Um, so a different way of approaching it. And I'll say they're both fantastic. Like you said, I, I've never had... I love doing photo ops much more than autographs. And I find that I've never had a bad picture. I've had somewhere in my face, I, I'm smiling too much. Um, but it's, they always do such a good job of both both events getting great pictures and yeah. making sure if you're blinking, they generally catch that. It's like the that. one thing um, that I wish there was 
a better way to catch when something is indeed off because again Chris does his best but you know nobody's perfect I did have one photo that was unfortunately messed up and there was just no way to redo it or no way to <laughs> exchange it or do anything whereas uh, when you get the photo when you do it with the instaprint and the moment you see that oh shoot my eyes are like half closed and I look weird and you know what <laughs> I made a weird shape with my mouth instead of smiling or something else you show it to the staff and they literally just put you straight back into the line and you just redo the photo yeah. so yeah that's that's certainly something that I wish we had at every single convention you know something like that when you can fix the photo immediately likewise and again talking about photo ops and autographs that kind of leads into the guest count um, so both conventions I think have a good showing Creation always touts that they have more than 100 guests, um, but sometimes mm -hmm. that guest list doesn't always include folks that have even been on Star Trek. <laughs> you know, yeah. we get a lot of scientists, which is great. It's a different type of guest. Um, they have a lot of, I call them deep cut guests, you know, folks mm -hmm. that have only been in a handful of episodes, um, whereas the Read Pop event, it felt like there were, I can say more headliners, but all of the guests they had, and I don't remember off the top of my head, I want to say they had like 40-ish guests when uh, the event came. Yeah, a yeah, 40 or 45. And they, were yeah. all, and they were all folks that had been in a, a lot of episodes or were series regulars for the most part. Um, but what yeah. are your thoughts on the differences and how both events handle their guests? Um, I do feel creation has a much better handle on that. Um, because aside from, you know, it, it, the, the Read Pop is set up as a premiere event, which means you, you present your product, you present your franchise, which of course would mean that you're going to bring people who who are the faces of the franchise, which is going to be primarily the main guests or the, the popular recurring guests. Um, and then after that, probably maybe somebody of the creatives who are, um, you know, visible online or revisible in whatever is the current Star Trek pr productions that we have. Um, creation has a more uh, all-inclusive, more diverse selection. So aside from the fact that we do get the headliners, we have the main characters, the recurring characters, we also have actors who, as you said, you know, maybe they did like literally a single cameo. And but, you know, let's face it, you know, 50 years on, people still remember them for that cameo. Mm -hmm. So they will get people showing up for their panel. They will have people taking photos with his guests. There's going to be excitement because somebody's going to finally collect that autograph from that one person. Um, on top of that, creation also uh, and they started to increasingly do that, which I have to say, I do appreciate. Uh, behind the scenes people so mm -hmm. not only the creatives in terms of you know the uh, producers but you also get writers making appearances uh, you have uh, artists you have the special effects guys so uh, it's nice and then of course they slowly but surely and I know some people have been complaining about this um, but we started to get more fan involvement so you actually uh, you know, it's yeah, it's not a person who was necessarily right. <laughs> on, you know, on Star Trek somewhere, but it's a person who runs a very successful podcast, perhaps, and they put together a nice presentation about something. So we, we had quite a few very interesting fan panels this year. So hopefully that goes on because we certainly have an amazing fandom that has a lot of good thoughts and good content to share. Um, so we'll see. Again, I'm curious to compare the Seattle and creation event in Rio next year because I have I suspect that you know with all the feedback between coming back from from the pandemic and everything that we had this year uh Readpop was actually collecting feedback in Chicago that mm -hmm. was very nice to see so I'm I'm curious to see you know lessons learned how how Absolutely. things are going to get adjusted in terms of pretty much well every single category that we talked mm -hmm. about so far you know setting up the space the vendors the actors uh photographing autographing everything and I think it's you know, important to look to the creation has been doing these conventions Trek centric, you know, that was kind of how their business started is my understanding. And they've been mm -hmm. doing this forever. Uh, Read yeah, Pop, well, uh, they've done the Star Wars conventions, but it's it's very new to them still. And I think they are, they're going to learn a lot from last year's events. And I'm sure it's going to be. A, yeah, a great I, I'm almost, um, no, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be corrected, but I'm almost positive that the only franchise specific event they have is the Star Wars celebration. Every other event they do is, is a, an all, pop culture event you know from new york comic-con down to the smaller events which uh trying to guess what is their smallest event um because they do they do a lot of huge ones i mean c2u2 in 
Chicago is one of theirs. Florida mm -hmm. Supercon is one of theirs. They do a lot of really large comic cons all over the country. Uh, so, you know, having this, <laughs> I don't want to call Star Trek niche because we no longer are. Let's face it. Let's yeah. celebrate it. <laughs> um, but having a, another single franchise event that sort of, you know, has been around. And let's face it, we we kind of, we meaning the, the Trek fandom, we kind of helped invent the whole uh, convention culture in a way. Um, so it's, yeah, I'm sure it's an adjustment because they have to think a little bit out of the box. You know, how do you adjust to the needs of this particular fandom and then this particular, uh, uh, you know, people who got used to a completely different way conventions have been going for the past 50 years. Mm -hmm. I think too, looking at the guest count and we'll kind of segue into the scheduling and panels. Um, I know communication is a big one too. Mm -hmm. um, the creation event just took place in August. I'm surprised they haven't kicked off the website for next year's event because usually they do that very quickly <laughs> yeah um, but when we look at read pop as well their event was back in april and they still have not updated their website um so communication is something that i think both organizer can work on a little bit better absolutely um, but i think creation definitely gets the edge here when they do launch their website they'll start with 20 or 30 guests right off the bat mm -hmm. um last year read pop we were seeing so probably maybe half the guests weren't even announced yeah, until it two started or three out weeks i think with three and then it increased to six and it was stuck at six for oh goodness probably up you know like two two and a half months before the actual event and then they started adding guests like crazy yeah. um so i'm sure i'm sure a pandemic was partly to blame for that but yeah it's it, well just based on my experience with for example new york comic con it's sort of part of their uh, modus operandi in a way where a lot of announcements i kept as close to the convention as possible, partly to avoid, you know, the whole hoopla that always happens when, you know, oh, this person is coming great, this, you know, sales of tickets and everything. And then, you know, a couple of weeks before oh, the event, yeah. or they canceled because they're, they're apparently they're filming or unfortunately they're sick or, you know, whatever else that may come along, why the cancellation happens. Um, so, yeah, I think that's part of part of their reasoning. But yeah, most certainly it, the, the communication is key. And there have been, uh, well, trying to remember, they did have the app of ReadPop. They, they always do have, they, yeah. and it is helpful, thank goodness. I mean, I I actually updated my New York Comic Con app the moment the, moment the thing popped up because, you know, that's where all the information is. <laughs> um, but I have noticed that there were discrepancies. If we're talking specifically about our Chicago convention, um, there were discrepancies between what the app was showing and what the website was showing. And then occasionally there would be an announcement on Facebook and people would be like, mm. okay, it's not on the website and it's not in the app. So, you know, obviously if they're making a public announcement, that, that's got to be true. <laughs> um, there were some growing pains because there were discrepancies between like the times the actors were signing. Like the actors oh, right, had one yeah. idea in mind. And then unfortunately, Epic, who was in charge of all the ticketing for the event, they were like, you know, you have to come back because we need to confirm. We don't know. We're not quite sure. And but don't go by the times in the app because that's definitely not there. So th that was this sort of like this this disbalance. We had to kind of keep your hand on multiple pulses to make sure that you're not actually late for for an autographing session, for example. Yeah. And again, looking at the schedule, it's incredible because there is so much programming that happens at all of these events. Mm -hmm. Um, I think yeah. both of them have three different theaters they use with programming the entire duration of the convention. Um, I know you're yeah. a planner. I'm a planner. We would both love I to have live that. For spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah, I want that schedule a month out. We're lucky if we get it three days yeah. out. <laughs> and they yeah. both did that. And it's, it's, it, I can only like, I'm sure that none of us, unless you, you personally, professionally or semi-professionally have actually assisted in this kind of event. We don't know, you know, even even the smidgen of what's go going on in terms of uh, arranging all this programming and scheduling. Um, to my knowledge, you know, creation literally has to, I mean, last year is a good example when they were literally changing things on the fly because things were changing. You know, some of the actors were literally canceling at the last moment and somebody else was coming in at the last moment. You know, kudos to them. They did that. That's that was an insane exercise and they handled it very, very well um, this year. Um, I'm assuming that that was a whole lot of changes and how do we do this? How do we fit, you know, all these hundred people, whether they're actors or scientists or fans, um, we didn't get, yeah, we, we, we uh, my sister and I were already in Vegas when the uh, schedule already dropped. So I had to kind of sit down and, you know, set out a couple hours from whatever I was actually planning to do in Las Vegas and just concentrate on, on some sort of planning because it was, very much a last moment. And unfortunately, 
they couldn't even print it. It was that late. So the, the booklet that we got was just the general information with very nice pictures about the event itself, but there was no schedule included in it as it normally is, as you know. Um, so <laughs> I think the, the trickiest part as far as like communication for like ReadPub, they did post the schedule, but then we kind of came across the same thing where um, customer service who's located, I believe in Connecticut, was replying to any kind of questions about anything one way, whereas people from Repub who were on the floor at the convention, who mm -hmm. were thankfully all both on Facebook and on Twitter, they're like, no, 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 that's not actually what's going on. You know, do this or go there or <laughs> <laughs> this sort of thing. So yeah, it, the, the scheduling has been a little bit crazy in both in both cases. Um, going back to what you said, yes, there are three uh, theaters, if you will. I mean, whichever way we term the, the, the three performance spaces. Uh, the, the main theater, main stage, and then you have a couple of secondaries of various sizes. Um, it's a wonderful thing to have because obviously you have for the main featured guests, it's great to have a, a large space or for, for the cast events and certainly to have a large space. And then everything else, whether it's a small performance or a, a science presentation or anything, of course, it kind of, um, you know, it fits better when you have a slightly smaller space. Um, I'm glad to see that ReadPop had three. Uh, in uh, Mission New York, they had five or six. And believe wow. me, that was a huge challenge because, you know, you can't really be in five places at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> As it is, we usually want to be in three. So that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which kind of brings me to, to the following. The way those three happen, for the most part, um, I, uh, I can't remember much staggering that creation would do. They would normally, you know, you have 11 o'clock and then you have two or three things starting at the same time. So mm -hmm. I suppose technically, you know, if you're in the main theater and you see something going on and you're thinking, well, there was this other thing I wanted to check out. You can get up and go while this thing is on go. The, the first panel is ongoing. Check it out. And then if you want, come back. In case of a read pop, they tend to stagger. So you have something starting at 12, something starting at 12.15, something starting at 12.30. So that is a little bit, I know some people prefer that, but staggering actually makes me very uncomfortable because it feels like it's like you're not here or there. Yeah. Um, You're only getting pieces again. Of it's a, it's a personal preference, so perhaps you know, <laughs> others will tell me that it's a much better separation. <laughs> I think it kind of comes out of Comic Con when you have again multiple things going on, but there's multiple things in various genres and franchises. Uh, here we're all about track, <laughs> so you kind of you yeah. do want to be everywhere. I think too one of the big things we'll see with the scheduling or not scheduling so much, but the panels is um, exclusive content. And this mm -hmm. is where, you know, with the official convention being the read pop right. event, they, we saw some trailers, some clips, mm -hmm. which is, yeah, okay. we saw some clips and some video and it's stuff that you, that's not something that you will get at the creation um, events. You know, uh, not I, anymore, you were in the audience. Presumably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, we still get wonderful Q and A's and, uh, you know, certainly still, still group panels or cast panels. Uh, but yeah, in terms of if there's going to be another bombshell to drop a la, you know, Sir Patrick, you know, that's that's going to happen at ReadPop. Um, so, you know, with, oh my God, how many productions we have right now? Five? Great Again, Seattle, Seattle is going to be probably quite, quite something. At least yeah, I'm, I have high hopes. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I absolutely agree. Um, so speaking of scheduling panels, you know, the admission passes or how you get into all of this. This mm -hmm. is how we'll segue into admission passes. Um, creation has a handful of different... Um, passes ranging typically from that gold pass down to Groupon tickets. Mm -hmm. um, the ReadPop event had a VIP pass and I think just a general admission pass. Um, but what's been your experience with different pass levels? And particularly we look at the, the difference in the VIPs because I think you've done gold and yes. VIP. Um, what was... Was it worth the value of both of them? So um, when the very first mission happened, which was in New York in 2016, the VIP was, and I can, I actually looked it up. I still have my confirmation emails, believe it or not. Um, the VIP was at uh, $400 and the general admission was somewhere in the 130 or 150 range. So the general admission hasn't changed much, but the VIP for some reason became 750. And comparing New York and Chicago, Chicago actually had far less included, but it was almost twice more expensive. So that was probably one, like in the top three things that popped into my head when I got asked, you know, feedback, you know, like, what do you think? And I said, the, the price point for VIP is actually, it's, it's you, you, I can't find a justification why it's $750. Now the VIP at 
a typical ReadPop event, you know, whether we're talking specifically about uh, the mission conventions or pretty much any other Comic-Con that they run. Uh, it primarily means that, you know, you get some swag, which is very lovely. Uh, you get uh, one hour early entrance to the vendor floor. This one's a very nice thing to have, by the way, because once you reach Saturday and everybody wants to go for the exclusives and the, the fun vendors and everything, mm -hmm. it's kind of nice to have a little bit of sort of like calmer time when you can like slowly pick out and actually, you know, do some nice shopping. Um, and then, of course, it comes to the panels where you have reserved seating and it's reserved in quotation marks because there, yes, there is a section in the front of the stage that is reserved for the VIPs, but it's not guaranteed seating. And that's the, therein lies the main difference between read pop events and creation events. Creation event, if you buy a tier ticket, which includes a reserved seat, that seat is guaranteed. It's yours. Uh, even if you don't have a tier ticket, even if you have like a general admission and you want to be sure that you're there for the cast panel in the main stage, you're going to come in, there's going to be a seat there somewhere. Um, with the VIP at Repop, if you're running late, you're not there, you know, the, the uh, panel is about to start. The, if they see that there are still unfilled seats in the VIP area somewhere within like 20 minutes before the start of the uh, panel, they release it. So that's it. First come, first serve. You're not guaranteed a seat. Mm -hmm. um, so we, again, we did not have to deal with this in Chicago because the convention was under capacity. Um, Mission New York was a mess with a capital M in that regard. Those people who have never been to a convention suddenly discovered that apparently a ticket to a convention doesn't mean you're necessarily going to see a convention in a sense of a panel. So those who show who, <laughs> who wanted to see TNG cast or DS9 or Voyager cast, uh, the lines were huge and, you know, a lot of people never got to see it, unfortunately. So, um, Again, Seattle, question mark. Are they going to address it? Are they going to adjust it? Are they going to arrange a bigger uh, stage? Of course, depending on how the sales will be going, how many people are going to be expected. Uh, but as a general statement, that's probably one of the main differences between the two setups. You have a Comic-Con first come, first serve versus uh, guaranteed seating uh, at creation. Especially with those gold tickets where you have, it's not even just... Um guaranteed seating it's that assigned seat i remember yeah. sitting in a panel once at, at the creation convention and i forget who was on stage but they commented that they didn't feel very popular because there was nobody there and it just so happened most of the gold folks were up doing autographs yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. th that those first few rows just so it's, it's nobody sits there they stay empty because it's an assigned exactly. seat. exactly so th i think that's part of the optics sort of um I think um, DST has had slightly different uh, sort of take on it. They had the same gradation. So you had the admirals, the captains, uh, commanders, lieutenants, et cetera. That's, what, that's their ticket tiering. And that's how the seating would be arranged in, in, with, uh, in the main theater. In their case, it's an enterprise stage. Um, and then, but once they would see that, okay, we still have unfilled seats in the commander section, they would say, okay, lieutenants, come on up. And they would push people up so you don't have this optic illusion that oh there's like nobody in front because realistically people standing on stage that's all we can see like the first i don't know 10 yeah. 15 rows and yeah if it's nobody there then it's like well is the convention actually happening <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's it's a it's a weird thing isn't it it's like we have no convention is perfect like on one thing absolutely works works very well for the fans doesn't look very good for the actors you know you flip it the other way around where fantastic look with a full thing but not everybody could make it. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, but it's fun to try both because, you know, we all go to conventions to celebrate Star Trek, but we also go for our own, you know, somebody comes for panels, somebody comes for autographs, somebody wants to just hang out and do cosplay. And yep. then you have the, that, whatever parameters of a given convention, then you kind of try to fit, fit your needs within that parameter. And it works plus minus at each event, I can't say I've ever been to a track convention where I was absolutely miserable. That never happened before. Oh, exactly. Even like there, there's no, I say the same thing with Star Trek, the shows, there's no such thing as a bad episode. There are episodes and conventions we might like more than others, but at the end of the day, Star yes. Trek is amazing and I'm going to take every bit of it I can yeah. get. There's a wonderful quote uh, from Rick Sternbach. He posted it either on Facebook or on Twitter. I think Facebook, when he said, Star Trek is like pizza. There is no bad pizza in the sense of like, you know, exactly. you have so many different varieties of toppings and somebody wants pepperoni and somebody wants anchovies. But, you know, you can't say that, you know, oh, this is not right because, you know, that's not pizza because it has anchovies on it. Right. Um, 
And some of us are going to take those episodes we don't care for and watch them over and over and over, over again. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. So kind of the last thing to look at to compare and contrast are some of the events, both official and fan run. And for that, I'm thinking more of like the after hours events. Um, yeah. And this is something, I don't know your thoughts. I certainly think that the creation events have an advantage because it's typically held at the same event. We all know where the masquerade bar is, where the I bar is, what time karaoke is going to be. Um, so there's that repetition. Correct. Um, but, and yeah. what's more, because it happens year, year after year in the same spot, you kind of have this set atmosphere that evolves and grows for that particular space. So that, you know, you, you come in and not only just knowing where everything is, it's sort of like, it's, it's a given. It's like, it's like a family reunion. Everybody comes in and just, you know, it's like putting on your favorite robe or your favorite socks, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's comfortable. Um, with mission being, well, we only had two so far, but with it being a traveling show. So every year it's supposed to be at a different place. You kind of, yeah, you, you, you do not have that, that's that factor of constancy because you're going to be in a different place next year and a different place next year. Um, what's more, because it's a brand new event, it hasn't had a chance to grow a culture around it yet as, as creation had, uh, because Vegas has been oh, 17 years, 18 years, you know, almost a generation. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's quite different when you have this, this an institution that kind of, grew through the through the years with the fans and with the fandom so uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how it goes you know hopefully mission creations uh, sorry mission conventions will continue and uh grow and again you know if we have repeat uh series which we probably will um you know things probably will start evolve around chicago and around seattle and you know if they come back in new york so in terms of having an established event like uh, las vegas um ex again yeah it, it affects what the fans do at this point i know for a fact that coming in there's probably going to be at least i don't know 15 20 different little gatherings of various fan groups and that's just like forget about like the usual general hangout that everybody does at, at masquerade you know like oh, if yeah. you don't have anything going on just go down to masquerade and there's going to be yeah. <laughs> a ton of people you can meet somebody new make a friend um and i think Part of that too, I think, comes from the fact that going back to the setup of the, the event itself is that it, when it's at the Rio, it's the Rio. We take over that entire property and there's not yeah. a lot adjacent to it. Um, whereas mm -hmm. in Chicago, it was spread over a few hotels that were connected to the convention center, but it was quite more spread out. And I'd imagine yeah. it probably felt that way at Bally's this year as well. Uh, a little bit, yeah. What's more, there was a lot of extra people who, who were there for other events, either at the neighboring Paris, and I think there was actually another event happening in Bally's itself. So there was a whole lot of, um, you know, it was like, yeah, the, the atmosphere of the event was was perturbed. It was not it was not working as well as it normally would be when we were just in a little bubble in Rio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Chicago was also a disadvantage this year um, because... Um, you know, like Reed Pop had everything set up, you know, we had all the decorations in the, in the convention center. But then once you leave the convention center, you're actually in the middle of, I don't want to say nowhere. I mean, you're in the middle of Chicago, obviously, but it's right. not in the area where the convention center is where you have a lot of other things. So it's not like, uh, well, okay, Rio has its own, uh, you know, uh, bars oh, and, yeah. and restaurants that you can use. Or if anything, you know, it's a, it's a quick jaunt to, to the strip where you have everything, you know, the restaurants and the pubs and you name it. Here, yeah, it's like if you wanted to actually go and hang out with other, you know, other people, other fans, you actually had to like, yeah, public transit or Uber or taxis. And it's not a quick jaunt, but you have to go somewhere further up closer to the river if you wanted to have, you know, a nice sit down somewhere. Um, it, it Partly disadvantaged because of the location and also, again, ties into the pandemic. The hotels that were attached to the convention center normally, I'm sure, would have, um, I don't know extended oh, themselves yeah. in order to keep the crowd locally i mean there was several thousands of people just willing to do business we were no trackies you know give oh, us yeah. a place <laughs> to get together a little bit of alcohol we're going to be sitting there and eating and drinking <laughs> and talking track for hours in this case they were you know the main hotel hyatt they had a single sort of pub slash bar location and it closed early and it was closed altogether on sunday so those people who were like, yeah, let's get together at, I forget the name of the place, and have a thing, Sunday celebrate the end of the convention, 
we all came in and just discovered that the place is just closed. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> I was never so disappointed. I think I did Uber Eats my last night there. It's like, this is how I'm ending this convention, which was yeah, still fun. Was, but yeah. It was a little bit disheartening because, you know, like if you can't even have like a nice little bar, you know, blowout or something. Exactly. Um, so, yes, yeah, so it felt like, okay, convention is over. Everybody just go. <laughs> Um, Seattle, I am told, is uh, the, the convention center is in downtown. It's a much nicer area, much more central to all sorts of places where you can find, you know, eateries and restaurants and pubs and everything. So um, I suspect it's going to be far more fan friendly in that regard in terms of finding a place to hang out. But no, thank you. So any last thoughts on the two conventions? Um, uh, just to reiterate, we're you know, the, it's it's not so much that you have necessarily something that could be labeled a con or a pro. It's a different way of approaching how you set up the event. So it's actually wonderful that we have, you know, two events rather than not having anything at all mm -hmm. and being stuck with just one. Um, and try it out. Again, you know, something may work better for whoever is going to panels. Um, you know, you might prefer creation event better because you don't have to rush. You don't have to worry about getting a seat anywhere. You don't have to care about, you know, necessarily perhaps crowds so much, especially once we're back in Rio. Um, but, you know, who knows? Maybe you prefer more flexibility. Maybe you want to be there in the thick of things when they drop some amazing trailer or news announcement and it's going to be happening at, at, at the Read Pop event. Um, so my question is like, you know, between the two, let, let's have both, you know, it's a good thing to have yeah. both. And again, you know, like whatever your personal, however you choose to practice and enjoy your fandom, you know, just take a look and see how you can, uh, fit your needs within the parameters of a given convention. Uh, let's face it. I mean, besides these two, we also have the cruise and DST, well, question mark DST, but at least the cruise <laughs> and that's an animal of a completely different sort altogether. And yet, you know, you still have people who will say that that's the best thing ever. So I'm glad that we have all of that and we have an opportunity to actually, you know, meet each other and uh, see the actors and celebrate Star Trek. It's funny. We look back maybe five years before Discovery came back on and it's, you know, we had all these legacy shows. We had one company doing Star Trek conventions and now here we are with five shows, three, maybe four different conventions. It's an exciting time to be a Trek mm. fan. There's no question about it. And it's oh, fantastic. I, I think yeah. you get it right. However and, you want to consume your fandom. And I have to say, I mean, the market uh, increase of Star Trek just as a component of uh, overall pop culture at other events. I mean, other conventions that I've gone to for, you know, like like New York Comic Con or Denver Comic Con, actually Denver, I think is called differently, the um, fan expo events. You know, you show up, you will find Trek. Whereas, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it would be like, oh, fantastic. At least somebody's yeah. wearing a uniform, you know, like the one person in the crowd or something. Um, these days, it's, uh, you know, we're much more mainstream, which is exciting to see. Absolutely. Well, Maria, thank you so much for joining me. Um, if people want to chat with you prior to your next convention, what's the best way for them to stay in touch with you on social media? Um, well, as we already mentioned, uh, as one of the admins of the Star Trek Convention Experiences Group, it's probably best to do... Um, you know, join the group and whatever questions come along. Uh, I am on Facebook, but um, generally my, my account is uh, private normally. Um, Twitter is probably the best in terms of public discourse. Uh, I'm there. You can find me at Dracorex, D-R-A-K-K-O-R-E-X. Um, and same handle actually on Instagram, but uh, I'm much, much more rare there. So generally speaking, if you have any questions, yeah, uh, uh, Twitter probably the best. Nina, thank you so much for being my guest this week. It's always so much fun to chat. Uh, before, oh, hang on. Looks like we have an incoming hail from Bill and Dan over at the Trek Geeks. Hang on one second. Let's pull up that file. Dan, as always, we want to take this moment to thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. They have been a core part of the entire network for years, and we are so proud of our relationship with them. Yeah, we absolutely are, man. We met them in Vegas the first year they were in business, and right from the start, we knew that there was something very special about them. Lou, John, and the entire team at Fansets are truly wonderful people, and just like all of you, they're huge Star Trek fans. They love every part of the franchise, and that love and dedication goes into every single Star Trek pin they produce. And there are a lot of them. They have over 400 officially licensed Star Trek pins, and they have new releases every single month. 
And as a sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network, we get to give away fanset stuff all the time. So you definitely want to keep your ears open for any new announcements where you can win some awesome Star Trek pins. So friends, head on over to fansets.com. Check out their amazing inventory of not only Star Trek pins, but also some other awesome genres and put a bunch of pins in your cart. And maybe even some accessories like those incredible locking backs to keep your pins secure. Or hey, maybe even an amazing gift certificate for a friend or a podcast co-host. Then at checkout, be sure to enter the special discount code TREKGEEKS for 10% off your entire order. That's TREKGEEKS in all capital letters with no spaces. And don't forget, when you spend more than $30, you automatically get free shipping in the U.S. Fansets. Our pins have character. And we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. As always, thank you for tuning into the Con Pod. Before we leave, I would like to thank the talented guys over at Five Year Mission. They were the house band at Mission Chicago. Hopefully we'll hear them again very soon. But if you want to reminisce and catch some great tunes, check them out on Spotify or visit them on the web at fiveyearmission.net. Until next time, live long and prosper.